On October 1st, FINRA is debuting a new introductory level qualification exam, the Security Industries Essentials Exam, or the SIE. It'll be the first step in assessing a candidate's knowledge of basic securities industry information. In this episode, FINRA's John Cologne fills us in on what to expect. Plus, you can stay tuned for three sample questions when I get the chance to embarrass myself. Welcome to FINRA Unscripted from Rockville, Maryland. I'm your host, Caitlin Kiernan. I'm very pleased to be joined today by John Cologne, Vice President of Registration, Disclosure, and Testing, and Continuing Education at FINRA. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. In that role, John leads FINRA's efforts in development, maintenance, and delivery of the Securities Industry Qualification Examinations and Continuing Education Programs. John joined FINRA in 2007 after 14 years with ACT, which many will know for its college admissions test. So John, with 20 years of experience in testing and assessments, I want to know what kind of tester are you? Were you the type of kid who looked forward to standardized tests or did you dread it like the rest of us? So I dreaded it like the rest of you when I was in undergraduate school, going to graduate school, taking the GRE. Not fun. But as I progressed in my career, I took the CRCP program, which has a written exam. And that was an experience. I did well on it. I got my credential, but it's stressful. For all of us. So working in the business does not change that. I think it gives me the advantage of understanding how tests are developed, how questions are asked. But no, it's still stressful even for those of us that are in the business. I guess that's kind of reassuring in a way. But to start off, I wanted to get very basic. Why does FINRA have qualification exams? Great question. So... FINRA, as you know, is responsible for regulating the securities industry, and part of that is qualifying individuals that are going to be working with customers and investors. And a big piece of that is how do we know whether someone is qualified or not? So we develop qualification exams, as the name implies. We're trying to determine, does someone know about the rules, about products? Do they know about investment strategies? All of that goes into our exams, and they're targeted to each registration category. So we have over 28 different exams that we administer today for FINRA, and each of those is targeted to a specific role within the industry. And with that comes the targeting of what questions are we going to ask, what knowledge are we going to assess. So we have content outlines for each of our exams. Those are up on FINRA.org. You'll hear me talk about FINRA.org a lot today because We have a lot of information up there, not just on the Securities Industry Essentials exam, but all of our exam programs. And we will include links to those in our show notes so listeners can check that out. But John, you just mentioned the Securities Industry Essentials exam, which is why we have you with us today. That is FINRA's latest exam, and it's a little bit of an evolution. So I was hoping you could tell us what is new about it and why did we introduce this test, which we might call the SIE. Well, you'll hear me refer to it as the SIE or the Essentials exam throughout our discussion today. We really took a step back to look at our programs probably about six years ago, and we were approaching our 60th anniversary, 60 years of developing exams for the securities industry. 
And with that, what I asked my team to do was, let's take a look at where we are today. How did we get to 28 plus exams for the securities industry? And if we had to do it all over today, would we have the same structure? Because a lot of our exams were introduced over time. We first started with the series one. Logical since we number all of our exams, but that's where we started. And with that, what we noticed is that a lot of our exams were developed based on regulatory events. Something happened in the industry where a certain group of individuals did something that they shouldn't have been doing, but they did. And to address that, we ended up developing more exams. So it's been targeted. So we've kind of cascaded over the years. And what we really wanted to do was, okay, so where are we today? What makes sense? And with that, we identified, look, there's a common set of knowledge for the representative level exams. And the representative program is where the individuals that come into the industry brand new, they're going to be working with investors to sell them products, whether it's stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And we have some limited rep exams, which are slices of those products. And with that, what we said was, look, there's common knowledge that we're assessing across all of these. What if we were to take that and assemble it into one exam and then take the remaining content and call those the registration exams or shorthand, we call them top-off exams. That actually gets you the registration once you've completed both exams. So with the essentials exam, that's the fundamental knowledge about the industry. So it's broad-based. It's going to ask about the various products. It's going to ask about the regulatory structure. People need to understand that the securities industry is regulated. It's regulated by FINRA. It's also regulated by the SEC. And it's also regulated by a number of other SROs that own exchanges. We feel it's important as a regulatory organization that people coming in have a good foundation and understand all of the products at a high level. Industry rules that apply to all of the registration categories. And that's how we built that exam program. And we worked with industry experts to do that. So our exam committees, and this is true not only for the SIE, but it's true for all of our exams. We work with industry individuals who are recognized in the industry. They hold those registration categories. And we're targeting what's the appropriate knowledge. So we're not doing this just from the regulator's point of view. We're using industry folks that are doing this business on a day-to-day. -day, and they have that expertise to really kind of tell us these are the things that we see with entry-level folks, and this is what they need to know coming in the door. So that's the building blocks from which all the other exams then will continue off of based on where you specialize within the industry. So if it's the essentials, as the name implies, who is the target audience? Who's going to be taking this test? So first off, we envision that the normal individuals that the firms are recruiting today will be part of that population that take the exam. So it's folks that are currently seeking registration with our member firms. But with this exam, we've decided to open it up so that anyone inside the industry or outside the industry can take it. So college students, individuals who are looking to change careers. The one eligibility requirement we have for the exam is you have to be at least 18 years of age in order to participate in this program. Why 18? Age of majority. It's really important from our perspective that they're entering into an agreement with us about following the rules of conduct for taking the exam. We know that most people are honest, but there are some individuals that we need to be able to hold accountable. And for that, we really do need them to be of legal age so that we can enforce an agreement that they're going to perform or execute with us when they go to take the test. 
And that's when they agree to our rules of conduct. So this is a change because in the past, to take an exam, you had to already be sponsored by a firm, correct? Right. You had to be employed by a member firm, and they would need to file the paperwork or the electronic paperwork now to become registered. So it would be someone who is seeking registration, and the firm works with the individual to complete what's called a Form U-4. And for those folks that aren't in the industry, this is the entry application into the industry where you provide basic information about yourself. There's also information that you have to disclose if you've been convicted of a felony. We also do criminal background checks, things like that. So it's not just passing the exam to become registered. You go through some screenings that also are done during that registration review. So the new test doesn't require the background check and That leads to another question I had. Usually when you are in the industry, that means you have this U4, which means you are in broker check. So if you're taking this test, do you appear in broker check? So just taking the SIA loan, no, you would not be in broker check because as we've opened this up, there are individuals that are not currently under our regulatory jurisdiction. So an individual that's, say, with a college and then their third year and they're thinking about entering the financial services industry and want to work in the security section. By taking the exam, they would agree to our rules of conduct. But that's not part of the registration process per se. First step to gain entry into the industry. We think firms are looking at that as a opportune time to recruit folks while they're in school. And it also gives students the opportunity to demonstrate that they've been able to learn the fundamentals of the industry and demonstrate to firms, I'm ready for this. So it's a good thing for that resume. Absolutely. It's a great resume builder. So you've mentioned that parts of the SIE used to be in the other exams. So how are those existing exams changing? If someone already took the Series 7, are they going to have to retake the SIE as well? So individuals that are currently in the industry today, they will receive credit for the SIE on October 1st, our launch date. And what we'll do is we'll review the registration records in our CRD. That's our central registration depository. And what we'll do is we'll credit individuals that currently hold registrations today or if they've held those registrations where the SIE is going to be a requisite for the registration going forward, those folks that are within four years will also get credit for that as well. So if you're going to have to take the SIE and then still take the Series 7, is that going to end up costing test takers more? How does that impact that? So for individuals that are on that registration path, so they've already taken the SIE, now they're associating with a member firm, the total cost for most exam programs for registration will be the same. So if we look at the Series 7 exam, the general securities rep, it's going to require passing the SIE and passing the Series 7. The cost for the SIE is going to be $60. The cost for the Series 7 is going to be $245, which is a total of $305. The current price for the Series 7, the long version, that's 250 items. That is $305. So it's based on the same price. We have one registration category that they'll experience a $5 increase. I'm sure there's plenty of college students who are eager to take this and would like to know what to expect. How many questions is it and how long do I have to take the test? So there's going to be 75 scored items. We're going to have some pretest items and pretest items are items that we're piloting to see how well they work. 
we do that with all of our test questions on these types of exams. We want to make sure that they function well. We may have confusing items and we don't realize they're confusing as they're developed. We pilot test them. The SAT, the ACT, the GRE, all of them do this. And there'll be 10 additional questions on the pre-testing. So total of 75 plus 10, 85 questions. And with that, you have an hour and 45 minutes to complete the test. They're all multiple choice questions. So it's fairly straightforward. And then we have our content outlines, which will tell individuals about what is going to be covered on the exam. So it covers the breadth that we talked about earlier. It's a fundamental exam. It's looking at the basic entry-level knowledge that someone needs. It's not going to be an easy test, and it's not going to be a hard test if you study. I think it's going to be a fair test. Our exam committee members who are in the industry today, when we gave them some of the sample tests that we've created as we were doing the development work, they all commented, this is a fair exam. It's not one that you can just come in and take off the street without studying, which that's the purpose. You need to learn about the industry, learn about the rules that are being covered on the SIE. It's not intended to be easy. It's not intended to be hard if you do your prep work for it. So how would you prep? And what are the options out there for folks? Preparation is going to be fairly straightforward for most folks. If you're an undergraduate student, there are business programs that will cover a fair amount of this. We're doing an academic outreach program with colleges and universities to explain what the new program is about and how they can make sure that their curriculum covers the content. There are training companies that provide test prep courses that cover the knowledge that is going to be assessed. So they'll learn about the industry, they'll learn about the rules, but it does require that time to go and study. So I think between those two, for college students, I think it'll be a combination of the coursework that they're doing and taking a training class that dives a little bit deeper into the material that's covered on the exam. I've got a couple of practice questions I can share with you. Do you have your number two pencil ready? I have a pen, so I guess that'll have to do. Well, let's start off with one that's on the treasury section. So when is interest on treasury notes paid? A, quarterly, B, semi-annually, C, annually, or D, at maturity? I am going to say at maturity. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. The correct answer was B, semi-annually. I was between those two. Here's another one, talking about stock splits. So that's something that people should be, you know, have a fundamental understanding of. So in the event of a stock split, Which of the following parties is required to maintain a record of the shareholders eligible to receive the additional shares? A, DTC, B, issuer, C, custodian, D, transfer agent. She's thinking. I want to say DTCC. Uh, no, unfortunately, it's D. Oh, no. (laughs) Man, (laughs) I am not doing well. I'm going to have to study for this. Exactly. That's the whole point. Now let's do one final question. Under normal circumstances, a customer's letter of intent on a mutual fund purchase is valid for what maximum period of time? A, three months, B, six months, C, 13 months, or D, 24 months? Going to say six months. I'm sorry. It would be C, 13 months. 13, man. It is. Unlucky 13 for me. There you go. Well, clearly all the listeners know that I need to study for the SIE. 
And that's the important point. These aren't difficult questions if you study. Individuals dealing with investors conducting transactions need to know some of this basic fundamental information so that an investor would ask, so I'm interested in doing this purchase of mutual funds. Tell me about what the requirements are. So what do you need to pass the test? Great question. So looking at all of our exams today, it's a pass-fail exam. And the scores vary across the different exams. But for the SIE, it's going to be a score of 70. And that's a scaled score. And we do scaling of our scores because the way we create our test forms is we select test forms for each individual candidate. And in doing that, some of the forms will end up being a little bit harder or easier. And through a process called equating, we adjust the scores to compensate for the difficulty of the test form so that everyone is compared against the same base standard in terms of passing the exam. So scores range from a 0 to 100, and a passing score is 70. So if I do pass the test with a 70 or above, how long is that test result valid? So a passing result is going to be valid for four years. And we set that time based on a couple of different things. One, we think that the information that we're going to assess on this exam is fairly stable. It's not going to change. The definition of a security doesn't change over time. A stock is a stock. A bond is a bond. So with that, a student who takes it in their junior year, they complete their schooling in two or three more years. When they come out, they still have time left. They got one or two years left to associate with a member firm and get registered for taking the exam. So they can even go ahead and take a gap year to travel Europe still if they wanted to. They could. Or if they took it in their senior year, they've got another three years after that. But again, they're positioning themselves for applying to a firm for a job in the securities industry. And we think that that's a huge leg up that they've demonstrated that they've got the knowledge base ready to go. So if I don't pass, I get a 68 and I just miss it. What are my options for retaking the test? So we do have some retesting rules, which after 30 days after you've failed, you can take it again. And you can do that two more times. So if you fail three times in a row, you would then be asked to wait 180 days to take your fourth attempt. And what we've really found there is that we think it's important that individuals take the time to study. So if you've had that type of a situation where you failed multiple times, it's important to kind of take a step back and really reflect on what do I need to improve on and go off and do some study time and then come back. So that's great for kids in college now, but what about someone who already graduated in this fall, they're starting with a firm, so they have to take the SIE and the Series 7, can they do it at the same time, or do they have to wait between the two tests? So our system is going to allow them to schedule. So if they're associated with a member firm and the firm has requested their registration, they'll be able to sign up and take both tests on the same day. Not sure why they would want to do that. We talked earlier on, you know, about how stressful it is to take exams. Maybe they want to get all that stress over at once. <laughs> and it could be. But yes, our systems will allow our test delivery vendor Prometric has built the capability to allow someone to come in and select two appointments, one for the SIE and then one for the top off if they're going for the general securities rep registration, then they could sign up to also do the series seven on the same day. So going back to the test scores a little bit, and earlier we talked about BrokerCheck and how a registered individual is in there. Will your score be on BrokerCheck or anywhere publicly? So when we look at what's in BrokerCheck today, we provide information to investors for individuals that are registered. 
or have been registered, and what's reported there is what exams they've passed. So for an individual that has just taken the SIE, they're not a registered person, their results would not appear in BrokerCheck. So it's only when an individual becomes registered that they appear in BrokerCheck. And would you ever have your score or just that you passed? So BrokerCheck just lists that you've passed the exam. And in fact, the score report that an individual passes the exam will see is they will see that they passed the exam. They won't actually see a score. If you apply to a job with a firm later, do they see your score or just that you passed? So with firms, for passing individuals, just like what the candidate sees, they'll see that the individual passed. There won't be a score for the firms. They will be able to see the failing score if you failed and haven't passed. So with that, that gives the firm an idea, especially if the firm is paying for your training classes, that gives them an idea of where you are and how close you are to the standard. And the test taker would also see the failing score as well. And we will also provide them with what we call a diagnostic breakdown. So there's four major content areas. And for each area, we would give them some indication of how they performed. So that allows them to understand, is there a particular area on the test that I need to study more on? Or is it that I kind of missed the mark on all of the areas? So they get the diagnostic feedback to allow them to focus in on their studies. So John, you sold me. I'm ready to take the test. How do I sign up? So go to FINRA.org. That's going to be the location for individuals that are doing this on their own. They go to FINRA.org. And if you just search in our searching tool there on SIE or essentials exam, you'll be taken to a link that will provide you with all of the information about how to enroll and take the SIE. The content outline is also available there. And then on October 1st, we'll actually have a live link where individuals can go in to create an account with us so that they can enroll for the SIE and pay the $60 fee in order to be able to take it. And then when they've completed that, that website will also give them a link to go directly to our test delivery vendor Prometrics website so that they can schedule their test. Well, I'm sure many of our listeners are going to go hop online to do just that. That's it for today's episode. John, thanks for joining us to help share what to expect from the SIE and some of the other changes to the exam program. From Rockville, Maryland, I'm your host, Caitlin Kiernan. If you have any questions for future guests or ideas for future episodes, let us know. You can email us at finraunscripted at finra.org, or you can reach out to us on social media. Until next time. note FINRA podcasts are the sole property of FINRA and the information provided is for informational and educational purposes only. The content of the podcast does not constitute any FINRA rule or amendment or interpretation of such rules. Compliance with any recommended conduct presented does not mean that a firm or person has complied with the full extent of their obligations under FINRA rules, the rules of any other SRO or securities laws. This podcast is provided as is. FINRA and its affiliates are not responsible for any human or mechanical errors or omissions. Parties may not reproduce these podcasts in any form or reference them in any publication without the express written consent of FINRA.